but I think sometimes as a group, we are mislabeled by our African brothers and sisters as essentially just being lazy, you know, criminals. And all we do is hip hop and, and, you know, and that's, that's, that's not really representative of everybody. You know, it's interesting, it. you know, it's interesting to your, your topic about the, you know, the African-American versus, versus the African debate. This is like a, it's like a UFC match. Uh, but <laughs> no, so, so for me to kind of express my point here, I'm going to share personal experience. So my sister is a divorcee, right? So she got mm -hmm. divorced back in, um, about that in 2017. She got divorced in 2017. He gave her the Kool-Aid, right? And long story mm -hmm. short, she bought into it. She got married to him. And after she got married mm -hmm. to him, she ended up, uh, it was an abusive marriage. She was beaten. I found out later that she oh, he, he beat her to the point in which she had a, um, she had a, a miscarriage and then. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Evolution Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about everything from, you know, podcast production, media production. And today I have a special guest, the expert to discuss this with me. I have Scott Kirk. Scott, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me, man. And um, thank you for that amazing intro. I, I got to hire you for my PR team. Uh, listen, I, uh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> How are but, you? I'm good. I'm good. So talk to, to so let's tell the audience about yourself. What, you know, for people who don't know who you are, what you do. So what, what exactly is subject matter expertise? You know, um, how'd you get started as a, as a producer? If you'll just go ahead and fill them in. So um, I work for Gannett, which is the parent company that owns about 100 plus papers uh, in the United States, including uh, USA Today. Everybody kind of knows USA Today. Mm -hmm. So Gannett also owns... Um, about 20 uh, Ohio papers, including the Columbus Dispatch. And so that, that's, that's my home paper. That's kind of um, really where I got my start professionally in journalism. Um, and I've been with the Dispatch and with Gannett for about 15 years. And over the course of that time, I've moved from uh, the corporate side over to sort of the, the local paper side and, and back again. But um, basically that's, kind of how I got started. I uh, majored in, in journalism in college and uh, graduated. And um, I got an internship in Washington, D.C. with the uh, Washington Afro-American newspaper. It's a very historic old paper um, in Washington, D.C. And that was a great experience. I learned a lot um, interning for them. And that kind of turned into a um, part-time staff writer position. And that was really kind of where I, I sort of cut my, my journalistic teeth, if you will. Um, just learning how to be a journalist, learning how to be a journalist and a reporter in a, a major city like um, DC. Obviously there's a lot of politics and, and social mm -hmm. things going on, but it really was a great experience for me. Um, but at the same time, I was homesick. I'm originally from Dayton, Ohio. And, um, so all my friends and family were back here in Ohio and uh, I, I, I wanted to pack them all up, Emmanuel, and take them with me to D.C., but, you know, that didn't work. So uh, I, I left D.C. and um, moved back to Columbus, Ohio. Mm -hmm. And um, my first job after moving back from D.C. was with the Columbus Dispatch. And I got hired as uh, what they call a web producer, mm -hmm. uh, which is technically my still my current title 
And basically what a web producer does is um, manage the content on the website. So um, I, I can't build websites. I'm not a, a programmer or a coder, but what I do do is I post stories, um, photos, videos, slideshows. Um, I rewrite some of the headlines to make it SEO friendly for the web, for search. Um, I uh, also do podcasting. Um, I have a podcast that I, I host and created and produce. And then I have a couple other podcasts that I produce um, for other um, dispatching Gannett staff. So between kind of my daily stuff of sort of just managing the site, um, doing, you know, managing the social media accounts, when I'm not busy with that, I try to work on my show and that's editing video, you know, booking guests, uh, doing research, the whole, the whole nine yards. So being a producer kind of is wearing a bunch of different hats. It's a little writing, it's, it's multimedia production, mm. um, kind of really uses all of my communication skills. Interesting. So I'm curious about your time journaling in, in DC, right? What was it? Cause I want to talk to you about Dayton, Ohio and, and what, what's interesting about Dayton, Dayton is okay. I, I wasn't dating. I used to say I wasn't dating for about, I'd say maybe two and a half, three months. Um, wow. in the, okay. uh, winter, it was my funny, true story was okay. my first ever snow experience was in Dayton, Ohio. And, and I remember it was in 20, it was late 17. Uh, I was working uh -huh. with a company at the time we went there for training and they were headquartered in Dayton, Ohio. Right. So I was a date. I can't remember. I, it's still funny. I don't, I don't drink that much. I don't drink anymore, but I was at a, uh, uh it's a funny story, but, uh, I was at a bar. And I remember the way this girl was hitting on me and I was like, oh, you know, I'm not, a, uh, I've never seen snow before. And she was like, well, tomorrow when you wake up, you know, picture what I said, she said, picture me naked in the snow. And I'm like, no, nah, I got a girl. I got a girl. I'm not trying to, I, I am not, not trying to get into that. So that was a date in Ohio. It was a very, very memorable, memorable, memorable experience. But I mean, the crime though, there's a lot of crime that goes on. in these Yeah, man. It's, um. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's mixed emotions. I mean, that's, that's my hometown. My, my mother still lives there. Uh, I still have family there. So I'm in Dayton, um, you know, sometimes once, once or twice a month, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's maybe other, every other month, but, uh, to your point, um, that's why I left, uh, you know, Dayton is, it's a great, it was a great place to grow up, but it's, it's an old industrial city, you know, in yeah. the Midwest and, um, as with a lot of Midwest cities like Detroit and, um, you know, Chicago and some other cities, um, Cleveland, you know, when the, um, when the industrial boom kind of fizzled and companies started moving a lot of their factories and production offshore, that really hit Dayton because that, that was really Dayton's economic base. And so you have a lot of people that left. Um, mm -hmm. and then for the people that are still there, there just aren't a lot of opp job opportunities there. And, and you and I both know, you know, if people don't have opportunity to make a living, you know, they're going to do whatever, whatever they can to survive. And, and often that's turning to crime. So yeah. Dayton does have a lot of crime. Um, although I, I will say growing up in Dayton, one thing that, that has benefited me, it, there is nowhere nowhere I go that I I'm scared or I am worried because 
Um, and, and I've been, you know, I've been on the streets of New York at like one o'clock in the morning and, and mm. I wasn't scared because I was from Dayton, Ohio. And I, I just feel like, you know, for, for all the bad things that, that the bad rap that Dayton gets, um, you know, it's really, um, good, decent people that live there. And, um, you know, I always tell people if you can make it in Dayton, you can pretty much make it anywhere. So, um, but with that being said, uh, I didn't want to move back to Dayton. So, uh, so when I left DC, that's why I came to Columbus. Cause I, I, I couldn't go back to Dayton. Cause I, I just, I had grown so much, you know, as uh -huh. a person and professionally. And I just didn't think that there were the type of opportunities in Dayton that I needed, but it's still my hometown. I still rep it. I don't let anybody else, you, nobody can down talk Dayton to me. Now you can, you can do it when you turn the corner or, you know, after tomorrow, but in, and, and, and even if what you're saying is true, it's still my hometown and I'm still proud to be um, be from there. You know, it really helped make me who I am. Um, and even my experience um, leading up to college, uh, I worked for a radio station in um, in Dayton. And so I, that gave me a lot of broadcast and radio experience and technical um, ex experience. I worked for a t TV station in Dayton. Um, as well. And so those those skills, um, I still use those skills today in my job today. And so, you know, everything sort of builds your experience build on on onto the next one. And so hmm. Dayton is is a big part of that. But, yeah, um, a lot of people I know that are from other places and they go to Dayton and they're you know, they're they're a lot of times it's it's a culture shock because it's small. There isn't a lot to do, you know, if you're from a bigger city, but, you know, it's like anywhere else. There's there's good people there and there's things to do if, if you're willing to to take the time and look for it. So, you so, know, yeah. one thing, you know, one thing I would say is, you know, you said something which is very interesting. You said, uh, first off, I want to give compliments to Dayton, Ohio, because one, it's super cheap. It right? is cheap. It's super cheap to live there. When a friend of mine told me, he was like, hey, man, I paid 300 bucks a year for my car insurance. So, dude, what? <laughs> you know? And uh, um, yeah. so no, so it is super cheap to to live in Dayton, and um, you know another another interesting interesting you know thing you said there was like you're like hey I was in New York one a.m. in the morning I wasn't scared because I grew up in Dayton that says a lot about Dayton because you're like hey man listen if you can survive Dayton if you can grow up in Dayton you could be in the south side of Chicago and you'll be all right you just be walking yes past, okay, listen that's fine. Yes. I'm, I'm from I'm from Dayton Ohio you don't know who you mess with no that's interesting yeah. man so let's talk a little bit about the journalism because. How is journalism like in D.C. as opposed to anywhere else? So that's a great question. Um, well, let me back up. First of all, I I'm going to keep it real. I kind of stumbled into journalism. It wasn't okay. it wasn't like a lifelong dream of mine. I it wasn't like I wasn't the little kid who grew up and said I, I wanted to be a reporter. Um, and coincidentally, my parents met at the Dayton Daily News newspaper. So. It was kind of in my blood, but I didn't really, I didn't really acknowledge it. Um, mm -hmm. And basically, what happened was when it was time for me to, um, I, I, so, let me back up. Um, and in full disclosure, I started out. I had gotten an academic scholarship to Wright State University, um, and I was going to major in, in um, com communication. And um, to be honest, my grades were so bad, I got kicked out of school. So I got kicked out of school. I got I lost my scholarship, got kicked out of Rice State. And I was really trying to pick up the pieces and figure out, like, what was I going to do in my life? 
um, I, I moved back home and I went to um, Sinclair Community College, which is in Dayton for a couple of years. And that really kind of helped me sort of focus myself. Um, and then I transferred to Central State University, which is in Wilberforce, Ohio, which is a historically black college. Um, and, you know, initially I was a little skeptical about going to Central State, um, mainly be out of arrogance, to be honest. You know, Wright mm. State is a predominantly white university. It has a lot more resources, like just in terms of you know, computer labs and dorms and, and everything. And I think I got so caught up in sort of the aesthetics that I wasn't really thinking about the actual educational experience. And yeah. so when I went to Central, Central didn't have all the bells and whistles that Wright State had, but what it did have was a very dedicated um, faculty that really, really cared about each student um, because it was a small school. Um, most of the students were black and I think the faculty realized, um, the importance of, of, of helping young people finish school. So yeah. if I didn't go to class, my instructor, and let's say if I had class on Monday and didn't go and then went on Wednesday, my instructor would ask me literally, why weren't you in class on Monday? Because that's, that's how engaged, um, and how invested in the students that um that they were and it worked out for me because i went from a, a guy who got kicked out of school to a guy who graduated with honors mm -hmm. um and it was actually at central state that i sort of kind of stumbled into journalism um at the time i was working part-time at the radio station that i mentioned earlier and i wanted a major in communication and so they they had a radio and TV program, which I, which I did major in, but then one of my professors pointed out that I could basically double major. Um, cause a lot of the classes overlap with the journalism program. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, why not? You know, if I can kill two birds with one stone, why not? So I did that. Um, and then as I started sort of writing papers and, um, I got on the, um, the school newspaper staff, because that was sort of part of the core, uh, the coursework. But when I started writing, my professors were like, hey, you know, you're actually pretty good at this. And then I was like, hey, you know, I'm actually pretty good at this. And this yeah. isn't bad. You know, I, I have a natural curiosity about things. Um, I'm a people person. I like talking to people. I like meeting people. I like hearing their stories. So that was really when I kind of seriously started to think about it in terms of something that I could do as a profession. And then, um, my, uh, my same, one of those same instructors, um, had a, um, internship that came across her desk. And, um, so she basically suggested that I apply for the internship and, um, you know, she went out of her way to support me. And so that basically led to me getting the internship at the Afro in DC. So um, I went to D.C. My father lived he my father's always lived in, in Washington. So it kind of worked out because I was able to stay with him. Um, the internship was paid, but, you know, it wasn't enough to afford to live in D.C. But it worked out because I was staying with my dad. And um, man, it was it was a little overwhelming at first, but it was great because um, it was a small paper. 
And so they needed me to cover basically as much as I could. So, you know, every day I had a new beat. Um, I, I, I got to uh, cover entertainment stories and mm. uh, interview celebrities. I got to um, interview politicians, local um, political officials, as well as people on the national stage. And, you know, I was taking the subway to one end of D.C. and then taking a cab to another to get to my next story. And I was taking my own photos with my own camera and then bringing yeah. them back to the to the office. And so it was it was it was a lot. But I think being sort of thrown out there, it forced me to learn the city. It forced me to grow up to kind of learn how to negotiate my way into certain spaces um, yeah. and to develop sources and all the stuff that you need to do as a reporter. But I think being in such a fast paced environment, um, I just learned so much. Whereas I think if I had gone to another paper in another city, you know, they might've thrown me a story here. Or I would have been, you know, maybe pitched some stories, but I don't think I would have gotten the exposure uh, to journalism as well as the exposure to a city like DC and how it runs and how you, um, how you cultivate sources and relationships um, in an environment like that. I, yeah, that, that was immensely helpful to me. Interesting. Interesting. That's good. So, so now living in Columbus and obviously working for the Columbus dispatch, what's been unique about that experience for you? Well, I would say probably the, the, the podcasting, um, has really, um, been something that I didn't expect. I mean, when I started working for the dispatch, there probably were, I'm, I'm dating myself, but there probably were podcasts, but you know, podcasting wasn't nearly as big as it is now. And, um, I, I always felt like, um, I've written stories for the dispatch, but I'm not a reporter. And I like that. I kind of like not being on deadline and not, you know, and, and having to crank out stories like every day or every other day. Um, so in the past, I kind of just wrote, um, for the paper when I wanted to. And I wrote about topics that I was interested in, but I kind of felt like there was something more that something else I wanted to do. Um, being a producer is great, but I'm as a producer, I'm managing content. I'm not actually creating content. I'm not producing content myself. So I really was trying to figure out how could I you know, I had this amazing opportunity in the dispatches platform as well as sort of a built-in audience, but I, I was trying to figure out how do I capitalize off that? How do I, what do I do with that? Um, and I, I um, one of my first early tries, which kind of crashed and burned was a, a cooking show, um, which was more of a video thing. Um, we had a, there, there, there was a, one of my colleagues at the dispatch, she was a food, she did, you know, she was the food editor. And so I came up with this idea for this, to do this cooking show and she would kind of teach me how to cook. And in, by, in essence, we would kind of show other people how to cook. And that would be a great way to sort of get me out there as well as elevate the profile of the cooking section in the paper. Um, that was pretty short lived. But then after that, I was kind of like, OK, what 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 else could I do? What's something I could do? We had podcasts. 
Um, and because I have editing, audio editing experience going back to my days at um, XM Radio. Oh, so I, I'm sorry. I left that a short part. So uh, I also had a part-time job in D.C. working at XM Satellite Radio as a producer, associate producer. So I would go do my reporter gig during the day. And then in the evenings, I would go to XM and run the audio board. But from that, I learned a lot about audio production. I learned a lot about producing a show. I learned a lot about what it meant to be a producer. So I fast forward, I'm back at the dispatch. The cooking show thing didn't really take off. So I was kind of like, well, maybe I can do a podcast. Um, so I was having a conversation with another one of my colleagues at the dispatch, um, a, a former reporter by the name of Lucas Sullivan. And Lu Lu Lucas uh, was a white guy and well, he is a white guy. And we, we were, we were, we were cool even outside of work. So Luke, Luke and I would have very candid conversations about race. Um, probably conversations that I might not have felt comfortable having with some of my other coworkers, but he and I had an understanding where we could talk about things without judgment or without taking it personally. Um, and so one day we were just kind of like, man, you know, we should, we should think about having these talks in a more public way so that other people, because other people may have these same questions or these same thoughts or same feelings. And so that's kind of how it got rolling. Um, Luke had never done a podcast at all, and he had no experience producing or doing editing or any of that. So a lot of sort of the, the groundwork kind of fell on me, which I was happy to do. So everything and you don't really think about it until you actually have to, like, put together something. But it was like, OK, we need a name and we need a logo. And, you know, what is our what, what, what is our goal? What is our mission? What, what is our purpose? What, what are we trying to do? Who is our target, target audience? Um, you know, um, how do we want to structure each episode? All of these little detailed things I had never really considered were the things that I had to work out. Mm. So that's what I pretty much did. It spent months kind of just sort of building the show. And then, um, and then we kind of launched it and we basically co-hosted uh, the show for a good period of time, but Lucas was a reporter, so he had other responsibilities. So a lot of times either it was me, either I would just host the show because he wasn't able to, to be there. Um, and then as his schedule got busier and busier, it kind of just ended up being me more and more. And then huh. eventually he actually left the paper. He, he moved on to another job. So it was just, it was kind of like, you know, I didn't I thought that we were doing important work and good work. So I didn't want to just let the show die. So mm. then it was kind of more of like, how do I. How do I shift this into a solo act, but mm. keep the, the spirit of what of what we were initially doing? And that's that's basically kind of how uh, our podcast came about. The other side podcast. So how long has that. How long have you had the podcast? How long have you been running the podcast? Oh man, uh, I think we're going to four years. Um, four yeah. years, yeah. nice, yeah. man, nice. And, and I will say the the 
um, the editor of the paper at the time was very supportive, Alan Miller. Um, and, you know, there was some, you know, there was some questions because we talked about some sensitive subjects sometimes. And the, you know, the paper generally takes a objective sort of neutral position on things because our job is really to report the news, not to, you know, have an opinion on it. That's why we have columnists. So, but I didn't want to just do a straight, you know, news podcast where I'm just, you know, in today's news, you know, like that, that's boring. Nobody, nobody really wants to hear that. And there's already mm -hmm. a thousand of those um, podcasts like that out there. So they were really um, supportive in allowing me to, um, ha you know, have it um, news based, but also to be able to express my opinion and my feeling about certain topics. And to be honest, it just didn't make sense to be talking about issues such as race. Um, and, and then as a black man, not be able to bring my own um, specific experience to that conversation. Um, so yeah, I just shout out to, to the editor at the time, Alan Miller for basically giving me the freedom and the space to, to, to do what I wanted to do. Man. Okay. Okay. I love it, man. I love it. Now talking about race is a very, man, it's a hot topic, man. That's a hot topic. That's a, that's a, that's a very hot topic. You know, you could, you could get canceled just for even talking about it. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, how are we able to navigate talking about those sensitive issues basically? So I think that when my, my own, just my life experience, um, I grew in a, grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood. I, I went to predominantly black schools, but I've always had friends of other races, white friends, Asian friends, Hispanic friends. Um, and I, you know, uh, but I think most people that know me know I'm, I'm pretty much a straight shooter. So I'm pretty much, sometimes it gets me in trouble, but I'm pretty much going to tell you what's on my mind. And what I found is that, you know, if you, if you're just respectful to most people, even if you say something that they disagree with or they don't understand, they'll at least hear you out. Um, and so most of the conversations that I've had about race, um, you know, I've had them with conversation. I've had those conversations with people, one, that I usually have some sort of uh, rapport with prior to our having a conversation. So it feels more just like, you know, you and I, we're, we're buddies and we're talking about something. You see it one way, I see it another way. Um, but I think if we have some type of rapport or, or relationship or, you know, mutual respect coming into it, we can talk about it without um, being emotional about it, without mm -hmm. being offended by it. And so, you know, I, I find most most people, I find most white people actually are eager to talk about race because they they're they're things that they have questions about. They're unsure if if they should say this or they they don't understand why this is offensive or just whatever. And a lot of times they they either don't have any black friends or associates that they can talk about those things with or they don't feel 
safe enough to do it because they think they're, it's going to come off that they're racist or they're going to be, you know, attacked or whatever. So, 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 I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, what's interesting, you mentioned a few things about people not getting offended. I mean, what's your take? Don't you think, like, especially in this day and age, we live in an age where, like, you know, people just get offended about anything and everything. everything. You, know, you could pick up, you could pick yes. a fence where, you know, I could be like, hi, and you could be like, wait, you said hi the wrong way, or you looked at me with your left eye right. when you said hi, so now I'm offended, and then, you know, they call it yes. this, this crazy rule. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting, even with the podcast thing, we post clips, right, and we posted clips where people go, oh, my God, you know, you guys are talking about this and this and this and this. I'm from a, I'm, I'm, I'm originally, I was originally born in Nigeria, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I grew up, you know, pretty much if you say it, I grew up pretty much around black. Everyone, everyone around me was black, right? right? So I came race to America. Is not an, race is not a major factor because everyone is Nigerian. So it's yeah. like, yeah. It, it wasn't something we were like, oh my God, this person. So, you know, I came to America and when I immigrated to America, it was not a, it was never a thing in my mind. I never thought about it. I mean, I saw everyone, you know, I've watched the movies. So I was like, I understood America was a very diverse um, country and a very diverse culture. So when I came here, I wasn't, I wasn't expecting the sensitivity because I even I wasn't sensitive to it. I was like, cool. right, <laughs> yeah, you know. But then you know, and then you come in, and it's like this, this like everyone has a very short fuse. Right? I mean, what, I know we can't really remedy this, right? We can't. But I mean, what's your take as far as like, do you think like it's been intentional? Do you think like they're intentionally like trying to get a divide? I think there are probably some people that want that. Um, you know, there are people that you know, just believe black and white people should be separate and black people are inferior or, or whatever. Um, you're never going to, you're never going to sway those people. And I don't try, mm-hmm. although I have tried to reach out to, um, I, I, I guess I would say open bigots and open racists just because I, 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 I'm open to trying to have that conversation. And I find those people never respond. Um, and because they just, you know, they just want to hold on to their beliefs and, and that's what they want. I think the other people, you know, maybe the, the other 60% of people are at least open to it. But I, I think one, you have to create a, a space in which people feel like that they can be honest about what they're thinking and feeling without being attacked. Or and, and that goes both ways that that's not just for white people, but it's also for black people. Um, and I think once you kind of create a, a space where people. Can say whatever they want to say without, you know, now there are there's always going to be consequences for you for what you say. However, people should should not feel like, you know, you're going to get canceled for asking a question. Um, you know, I, I remember one time Lucas and I. I don't even know what we were talking about. And Luke asked me, he asked me something about swimming, about black people in in water. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it was coming from a, a genuine place. He genuinely did not. He was like, what's up with black people in the swimming thing? And I, I, I just said, well, one, I said, one, you have the whole trans, you know, transatlantic slave trade thing. And so black people in boats, it's, it's not worked out well for us. I was <laughs> like, there's that. 
I said, and then you also have to, it's a cultural thing. I said, you know, most black people don't live near large bodies of water. So, uh, you know, most black folks live in the city. So all you really have is pools, you know, maybe you got a lake or something. So most black folks are just not exposed to, to water sports. Like, like it's just not a part of our, like, we don't have it. It's not close. There's not a lot of, you know, pools in their neighborhood. Like I said, there's no beaches. And so I don't think it's that black people don't like water. It's just that for most of us, um, we don't, we're not exposed to it enough. And if you, if you've never been taught to swim, the idea of getting in a large body of water <laughs> that you could drown in is just not appealing to most black folks. So, and, and you know, I always, I always preface it by saying, I can only speak for me. I don't, mm -hmm. I can't speak for every black person because everybody's experience is different. And so when I said that to him, he was like, okay, that totally makes sense. And then I flipped it on him and I said, what's up with, with white boys wearing shorts in the middle of winter? Like if it's 14 degrees outside, I've always wondered about that. Literally, I've, you know, and I wasn't trying, I'm like, is it? Is it a, a, a machismo thing? Is it just like, yeah, I'm tough and this cold isn't going to bother me? And I was like, or is it that literally your body chemistry is a, in, in such a way that you guys literally are hot? Like, I, I, you know, and these are things that, you know, black people talk. I know black folks that talk about seeing white folks in the middle of winter with shorts on all the time. And it's perplexing. But if you don't, have anybody that you can talk to about that if you don't have a friend to be like hey man why are you wearing shorts today it's 20 degrees why you got on shorts and have someone who's willing to say oh it's because i'm cold or oh it's because whatever these things these you know misconceptions these myths these misunderstandings they just persist um so to answer your question i think that you know it's not as hard as people make it but i think you got to be willing to be uncomfortable like, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but you have to be willing to be uncomfortable and you have to be willing to be to do some introspection, not only about yourself, but, you know, about your culture. You know, there are things about black culture that, you know, I'm not thrilled about. There are things about black culture that, you know, quite honestly, you know, it's not something that, you know, I, I like to to broadcast publicly. But if you ask me about it. I'm going to, I'm going to own up to it. And I, I, I expect that same thing from the other person I'm talking to. So if we're talking about, you know, why, you know, changing the, the, the school curriculum to teach that slavery, you know, taught slaves usable skills, I need to be able to, to talk to you about that in a way and express how I'm, where I'm coming from. But I also need you to be honest about it. If, if, you know, if it's wrong, it's wrong. If you don't understand it, you don't understand it. But I just think most people, um, one, you know, I think, like you said, we're in a, a cancel culture. So everybody's scared. Everybody's scared. If I say something, they're going to lose their job. They're going to get posted on Instagram and ridiculed. And I honestly don't, I think we're overdoing the cancel culture. I do mm -hmm. think that, you know, if you make racist and bigoted comments, you get whatever's coming to you. But at the same time, you know, if you don't allow people to, I'd rather the racist be open 
and outright with your racism. I want to know if you're a racist, tell me. I'm worried about the guy who says he's not racist, but really is, but doesn't want to admit it because, you know, it, 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 he's ashamed. Cause I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't protect myself against that. I can't combat that, but I can, I can work or, or work for or work against the guy who, who admits whatever his character flaws or shortcomings or biases or stereotypes, whatever they are, I want to know, just put it out there and we can, you know, we can hash it out. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned a, f a few great points in, in your conversation there, but I, I, I like the fact of open dialogue. I think there should be open dialogue. Um, I don't think that people should be, um, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, prejudice, all of the stuff that happens is pretty much a condition of, I would say a lot of environmental factors has a lot to do with it. Right. As far Absolutely. as the people that influence your environment. So I think, you know, uh, and, and another thing as well, and a lot of people agree with me and disagree with me on this is one of the, the right, the thing about the constitution is the U S was founded on a constitutional basis of, you know, freedom of pretty much speech and expression. And I think we're kind of headed towards a, a point in which anything is, is being deemed hate speech, hate speech. You know, you could say the sky's blue and someone's like, oh my God, that's hate speech. Right. You could say, Hey, you know what you, you know, you go on a display. So now let's talk a little bit about, you know, I, I don't know if you've used the uh, chat GPT at all. Just real quick. Go one ahead. day we got to have the African, African-American discussion. I, I, up, I would up. love to have, hey, wait, wait, well, wait. just, I just, um, I think uh, there's some tension sometimes between, um, Africans and by Africans that, you know, Ghanaians, Nigerians, whatever, yeah. and, and American born black folks. Okay. Um, and I've experienced not, not, I, not personally, I've never had any issues, but I know certainly in college, um, I remember having discussions about this because there's this, um, you know, a, a lot of, and rightfully so, a lot of students um, and just people in general who come from African countries, you know, they go through a lot to come here. Um, and they're, you know, often well-educated, you know, they, they, they're entrepreneurs. And so there's a lot of times they look down on American-born Black folks because they feel that we're lazy or we we don't take advantage of the opportunities that we have in this country, or we play the, the victim card or we play the race card um, too often. And so um, I, I just feel like a lot of times there's sort of this tension. I think most of it is just misunderstanding to be mm -hmm. frank with you. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I, I, I think it's a shame because if anything, we should all be united, but I, I definitely feel like there's a, um, uh, I, I, a rift might be too strong of a word, but I definitely feel like there's some tension from, and I've, I've talked to some of my, my African brothers and sisters about it. And, you know, it makes sense when they say it, but mm. then the thing that I always say to them is, um, you know, the, 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 the best and the brightest, the most ambitious, the most outgoing are the people that end up in America. Mm. It's, you know, for every um, Nigerian that makes it here, 
there's 10 lazy Nigerians back in Nigeria mm-hmm. that didn't have the drive or the ambition or whatever to to do what they needed to do to get here. So I think sometimes Africans take for granted that, you know, it's really your best, best and brightest that are making it here. Whereas, you know, every, every culture has people that are lazy. Every culture has people that, you know, are less outgoing or don't, you know, pursue education. That's every culture. But I think sometimes African-Americans, we are wrongly sort of labeled as all being lazy or somehow not not really living up to our potential. But the people that are sort of criticizing us for that forget you are the cream of the crop. Uh. And that's why you're here. And there's a bunch of people that are just like the lazy people here back in your home country. And they're never going to make it. So it's not just an American, black American thing. It's all people. So you got to just keep that in perspective that, you know, and and don't get me wrong. There are a lot of African-Americans here who are not doing what they need to do. But Mm -hmm. that's every culture. Every culture has people that are lazy. Every culture has people that are, you know, that commit crimes or, or do whatever. That's every culture. But I think sometimes as a group, we are mislabeled by our African brothers and sisters as essentially just being lazy, you know, criminals. And all we do is hip hop and, and, you know, and that's, that's, that's not really representative of everybody. You know, it's interesting, you know, it's interesting to your your topic about the, you know, the African American versus the African debate. This is like a, it's like a UFC match. Uh, but <laughs> no, so, so for me to kind of express my point here, I'm going to share personal experience. So my sister is a divorcee, right? So she got mm-hmm. divorced back in, um, I thought that in 2017, she got divorced in 2017. Now, before she got married, she was a, in, in, in my state, she was a very well known. So what that means was she had stores, okay. you know, just to make, think about it in a sense too. She had a, because she was franchised. So just think about like, like she owned every, you know, like every street down the block, you would see like a, uh, cause she did mostly um, supplements, right? So let's say like a GNC. Okay. So she had like multiple mm-hmm. of those different, different brands of locations. So she had enough cash flow coming. Now my sister, mm-hmm. fast forward, she met this guy, the guy, you know, he told her, Hey, I'm from Spain. He was just, he's an Nigerian guy. I was like, Oh, I just came from Spain. He gave her the Kool-Aid, right? And long story mm-hmm. short, she bought into it. She got married to him. And after she got married mm-hmm. to him, she ended up, uh, it was an abusive marriage. She was beaten. I found out later that she oh, he, he beat her to the point in which she had a, um, she had a, a miscarriage. And then when she gave oh, birth to no. my current niece, she also lost one of the kid because of how much, how the brutal like beating that she would get. And what was weird is she would cover it up because when I saw her, she, everything was nice and dandy. She never, no one knew what was going on. Right. Uh, but long story short, when she got divorced, she lost everything. You know, she had to pretty much start from scratch. And why do I bring that? I bring that from the census to there is a stereotype that says, you know, most most African-American or most most black men that are born in America are, you know, they 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 feed off of the women. They lynch off the women. Right. And I'm saying that to say that even in, in my home country, too, it also still happens. Right. And uh, so that also still happens in a census, too. There are still pretty much women and you still get taken care. It's still taken advantage of. By Nigerian men, 
And am I saying that's the norm? That's not the norm, but that's saying that we have similar experiences. So it does happen. The same experiences that people are having here in a sense of saying, oh, you know, met, uh, you know, black men born here are, you know, Africans say, oh my God, they're the bad ones. Now they're not because that still happens in Nigeria as well. Um, there's right. also a local state. So there's a, there's a, and, and we've, we've experienced this where my father was going on a road trip with my sister. The way people travel a lot is by road. So my father mm -hmm. was traveling and there was a checkpoint. And this checkpoint was not a typical checkpoint. It wasn't a police checkpoint of saying, hey, we need to see your, your ID and stuff. No, this was a checkpoint where they would stop you to rob you. Okay. So, wow. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, a, it was an actual checkpoint. And I'm saying this in a sense as to, you know, to say the crime is also a thing that happens. You know, people still get robbed. People still get, you know, so I, I definitely understand your point when you say the criticism of the Africans come and say that, you know, uh, Black Americans or African Americans are, you know, lazy or don't work or that. That in its own, like you mentioned it, it's very much not taken in the holistic picture, right? In the sense is to, it's not taken in the holistic picture because the bad stuff still also happens in Nigeria, still also happens in all other countries as well. But another thing as well, and I'm, and I'm going to say this from the perspective of where people say that Black Americans are not taking advantage of the opportunity that's been given to them. And my mm -hmm. comment to that is, I think we live in a society now where, and this is my perspective, this is my point of view. I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, but this is my perspective, my point of view. Um, I, there was a, have you heard of the, um, uh, the reticular activating system? No, I don't think so. So, like, all right, let's say you drive a Honda Accord, right? Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that almost every time that you drive, you see your exact car? Yes. Okay, yes. Okay, I'm yeah, with you. Right? Right? Yeah. But before you bought the car, you didn't used to see you that. Never but noticed. For, right. Yeah, never noticed it. But for some reason, now you see that exact same car. There's, a, there's, a, there's something called reticular activating system. What it does is it's basically a filter. So it only, whatever you focus on, it expands it more. So if I focus more on my car, I see it more. If I focus okay. more on, on the bad, you see it more, right? There's a reason right, why they right. tell race car drivers when you are, you know, when your car's in a spin, don't, you know, don't, you know, don't look into it. Just basically look the other way because where you look at is where you're going to go. I think okay. in the, especially this is, this is me from an outsider coming in is I think there's a tunnel vision, right? In the sense as to, there is a garden of, I would say, a garden of fruits ready to be harvested around people, mm -hmm. right? but they don't see it, right? Especially as most black people, they don't see it because there's a garden of fruits. Right. They don't see it because there's a tunnel vision. There's that reticular yes. activating system where they only focus on the fact as to there was that limitation of like, hey, I can't do this. Hey, I can't do this because of the color of my skin. I, can't, I, I, I've been, I have experienced racism. I've been in rooms in which I didn't get the job because of the color of my skin. That's, that to me, just fires me up to go out there and work extra harder to make sure that I'm right. in a position in which I'm never going to be dependent on that person again. So that was kind of, that's yeah. kind of how I look at it. But I always see from perspective as to, I believe that you cannot, the only person that can stop me is me, right? True. But yep. I, I personally think in, especially in the culture here that I see, especially in the American culture here is there is this, and, and, and a lot of people disagree with me on this, but I think to progress, you first have to accept responsibility for your future. Yes. That's it. I just think, I just think a lot of it can be changed with the one word of saying, you know what? This happened in the past. This happened. Yes, it did. So yes, it did. You know, okay. So what? I'm still going to go ahead and move. 
Yep. You know, that's kind of how I look at it, you know, because a lot of people are going to be like, and, 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 I, and, I, and I, so a lot of people talk about this, 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 the, the, the talk about, I don't want to talk about slavery, but let's, let's kind of, kind of dive into it. People like, okay, black people were slaves, you know, a few hundred years ago. 100% bad, terrible, 100% agree with it. But when, if I say my ancestors were slaves, okay, now I'm like, okay, now I'm identifying with that versus saying, hey, yes, they were, that's fine. But now let me go ahead and make sure that my legacy, I leave a better legacy that they're like, everything that they fought for, everything that they died for, everything that they bled for, I can go ahead and say, I can make my last name proud. You know, because everything I do, I do it for my, my, I do it for the perspective of like, my ancestors survived generations of multiple different things, multiple different events. So for me to say now and stay here and be like, hey, I can't do this because someone is saying the color of my skin is the reason why, is me disrespecting my ancestors. Yes. That's the whole, that's the only way I see it. So they've worked there, they, they, they survived that because there's actually a study that only 40% of, of men actually procreated, you know, for the past few, few thousands of years. So not a lot of people, not a lot of people actually got to carry on their, their, their uh, generations. There's a lot of generations that they were cut off. So. Right. My, I think my perspective is, I think it's also a mindset thing. I don't think it's a, I don't hold it against uh, anyone because of, you know, they were born here, but I just think that people, the one word that I believe will change the way you look at everything is just saying, this happened, that's perfectly fine, but I'm responsible for my future. That's it. That's it. Yes. That, that's the whole thing. That, that was the whole thing. So I think um, Africans do. And I think also another thing is with Africans is an ego. The ones that make it here have a very, very huge ego. And then you've experienced yes. that. Right? Yes. Where they, they yeah. think they're the cream of the creme, which is perfectly fine. You work your ass off. You hundred percent you get the right to. But I don't believe in I don't believe in, you know, saying this 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 group of people is this way because you mentioned it. The people who come here, I see being in America as an opportunity. Not a lot, you know, out of you know the thousands of people that applied, I came here. So right. exactly. that was by the grace of God. And Emmanuel, this is the thing I always point out to to my to my African brothers and sisters, you know, m the majority of the freedom and the rights that you benefit from now are because mm -hmm. African-Americans fought for those rights, like being able to drink from the water fountain or use the bathroom when you where you want to want to or or ride wherever you want to on a bus and a lot of other um not not just Africans, but other minorities in general, I think, take that for granted that, you know, it's always been that way. And it hasn't. The only reason why you're able to come here and not be a second class citizen is because African-Americans. Through the civil rights movement and, you know, recon from Reconstruction on down, worked and died and bled and went to jail and got beat for that. So. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it to me, it's um, you know, it's just it's it's not an honest argument when you sort of say, Well, I don't understand why y'all aren't just doing better. Because the reality is is that whatever we're doing, we're on we're we paved the way for every other black skinned person that comes to this country. So there's that. And Can then the other thing that just one last real sure. quick point. A lot of this I think comes from the media and how we are portrayed. So you have African-Americans who are portrayed through hip hop, TV, 
you know, mostly negative, they're mostly negative stereotypes. And that's mm -hmm. what's exported. And that's what a lot of Africans, that's what they see, right? That that's that's all that's what they know. That's what they see on TV. They see black folks on TV and you know, we're selling drugs and we're robbing and killing and twerking. And so they believe that that must be what they're like. I get, it, right? If I lived in another country and all I saw was black folks portray in the same light all the time, I would believe that that's really how they are. And mm -hmm. same thing with, with Africans who are portrayed here. You got a lot of black folks that grew up believing, literally believing that Africans were booty scratchers or <laughs> Africans, Africans all had flies on their faces because <laughs> to be frank with you, that's all we saw that. I mean, for real, I, I know you laugh, but th this is this is for real. Ask black people about African booty scratchers. That's a real, and it's mainly because we were just ignorant, and all we all we've ever seen is sort of like, you know, the hungry, starving, you know, Ethiopian child with the swole belly, and and so that's if that's all you see of Africa, you're going to think that must be how Africans really live. And so then you get these two, these two cultures that are come together. We think y'all are all savages and you guys all think we're gangbangers. And I, I, I think a lot of that just comes from the media and, and, and how we are portrayed to each other. No, you, <laughs> your comments about, about, you know, the way Africans are portrayed and being portrayed as African booty scratch. <laughs> And I'm sorry if I offend anybody <laughs> no, with that. No, 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 no. Have you ever heard that term before? Ab absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I've heard it. No, in a, in a comedic light, no, that is, that is, that is, uh, it's, it's, it's hilarious, but also funny. It's funny, but it's not, you know, we're not, we're not it all, is. we're, you yeah. know. Uh, yeah. But then again, here is the, here is the interesting, interesting part to everything that you said is, you said that the media portrays, the way everyone is portrayed is there's different correlations, right? So you notice this. So the way there's a correlation between African-Americans being, you know, you know, from, you use the term gangbangers, and then you say, and, and then also with the portrayal of Africans being, you know, booty scratchers. So there's a, there's a two correlations, there's two differences, right? So both parties is, have already been divided, right? Because you already right. see the other person as less than, right? Exactly. Yep. Which causes one thing, which causes a lack of unity, right? Yep. Because I personally think what the black culture overall is struggling for, not even just in the, in the African American or in the African perspective, is the division is so strong. And I'm not even saying this because even the division in Nigeria on its own is so strong. And it, it, in a sense, it's too, it is so strong that it's almost, it's like, have you heard the saying, and, and this is someone who said this, have you heard the saying of the, 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 the crabs in a bucket? Oh, absolutely. Yep. Right. So there's a crab crabs in a bucket. bucket trying to pull each other down. Everybody's trying to pull each other down to, so, so they can get to the top. And that's, that's very prevalent. I mean, I don't know what your personal take, but I, I, I see it a lot in the black community, African or African American, right? Yeah. It, it happens because, you know, everybody, we, we all want to be the, you know, the one on the top. So they, there's that climbing and scratching and all that stuff, which causes a lot of division. And honestly, I think, in a, I think this is a problem that I don't think is fixable for, and I, I don't want to sound like a naysayer, 
but it takes about 20 years to reshape a generation, 20 years. Right. Mm. So, and I personally think in the path we're headed to, and one, I am grateful for, you know, the civil rights movement. I am 100% grateful for the people who, you know, I mean, you saw the, the march that Martin Luther, they had kids out there getting bitten by dogs just to basically prove a point for the media. That alone, the sacrifice of people back then was, is, is something that I am genuinely grateful for, right? 100%. But what's interesting now is I don't think that movement in a sense is to is something that's ever going to happen again in the sense is true because we yeah. stopped focusing on community growth. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I agree. That, that's a, that's a big thing. You know, there's a lot of people say, oh, black owned business, black owned business, but that's all just to meet a quota if you ask me, right? Right. There is no genuine, you know, like, hey, I'm actually doing this because of this. I personally think we are living in a, in a, in a, in a, in a way in which it's, and, and also I want to use a scenario and, and okay, guys, don't, I know a lot of people, I'm even thinking if I want to use this example, because this example, I know like when we post clips on TikTok, someone's going to take offense to this and then it's going to go viral. And then next, you know, I'm canceled in, you know, a few hours. So. <laughs> Uh, I, 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 I'll I'll tell you up the podcast, but there was a, well, there was hey, bro, a very... I don't want to be the the guest that gets you canceled. So, but no, no, I'm no, just, no. I want to know now. So now you no, got to say it because it, it's a now very it's a it, it's a very set of uh it's a very interesting experiment. What I'm going to use is I'm going to use a um I'm going to use I'm going to use how would I, I'm going to paraphrase right. So there's a they did okay. a study. So they did a study. They group they they had a group of animal uh, of um, animals of mammals put in a in a confinement. So what they did was they put a uh, a banana, okay? They put a banana on a tree, and, and every okay. time, and then they put a spray on it. So every time in which one of these mammals would jump to go get this banana, it got sprayed. The other okay. other mammals that were put in there, let's say four or five, would get sprayed. So every time he reaches for it, four or five gets sprayed. Now, okay, what's interesting was every time now one of those new mammals would jump to go grab a banana. The other ones will pull them down because they're like, because they don't want to get sprayed. They don't want to get sprayed. So then they continue to study and they're like, okay, you know what? We're going to go. And I, this is just part someone else said, this is not me. Right. So, okay. um, they ended up swapping out one of them. They ended up swapping out one of the mammals and brought someone new. And then, you know, okay. it looked up, it saw a banana. It's like, whoa, it jumped in to go grab it. And when it jumped in, the, the other ones grabbed it and beat it. Okay. It's like, well, okay. It went to jump again. They grabbed it and beat it. So it's like, I can't go get the banana because if, if I go, I get beaten. But now guess what? Right. It doesn't know why it gets beaten. But the other ones right. know, right? Because right. they know that it's a spray cup. So what ended up happening over time was they swapped out everyone else. And it was just, a, and then they brought a completely new set. Completely new set. But guess what? Okay. Nobody ever went for the banana. Because they knew that if they went to jump for the banana, they would get, they would get beaten. They didn't know why. They just knew that they couldn't go for it. Right? And now that's also... So you see what, so which means you see what it says is to, there is an element of programming that's been done before the new set comes in. And all it takes is one, one, you know, from the old programming to keep spreading the bad message. And guess what? Everyone right. buys it. You know, there's also another one. I'm going to end this on the, um, um, just one last example there. You know, ticks on dogs, right? Ticks like the butt, like the. Yeah, yeah, the butt tick. ticks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ticks. Uh -huh. So a tick, I think has about a 33 inch vertical jump when the jump has about a 33-inch vertical, right? So it can actually jump. So they okay. did an experiment where they put it in a jar. They put a, you know, the, the, the papa tick and the mama tick in a jar. And then they kind of, they, 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 but every time it jumped, it hit the lid, right? So every time it jumped, it hit the lid. 
So then at some point it figured out that, hey, the ledge starts here. So if I jump over here, I don't hit anything, right? So okay. it only would go to that point. So what ends up happening is what it started having kids, okay? So after okay. it started having kids, guess what? The kids never jumped past that specific point. Okay. Because it, they didn't know that they could jump higher. So it could be the right. jaw was like five inch. They couldn't jump because they had a 33 inch vertical, but they couldn't jump to the full potential because they only knew of, hey, this is what I saw my mom do. This is what I see my dad do. Right. And the reason why right. I'm bringing that in a sense is to, I think in the sense is to, you mentioned it, the role models that they have in the black community. I don't think that they have any role models that are basically, they do have some, but the media does not give them the attention that's needed. Because right. there are people like, just like yourself, you're doing good work, but this video is probably going to get maybe two, three, 4,000 views. But right. if there was a girl that was, you know, you know, doing all that stuff, 1.2 3 million views. Right. Exactly. Right. Because then again, it's, you have to, it's, it's all about the point is to, if you educate a, a generation in the next few years, in the next, you know, one or two generations, you know, you are basically breeding your next breed of competition. Right? So I think there's a lot that goes into and I, I, I pretty much enjoy this topic, even though it's a kind of a little bit sensitive, hot topic. I like it. So, I mean, what is your take so far as far as what I said? Do you, do you have anything that you object with? You know, anything you want to make a comment on? Anything I've said so far? No. Yeah, no, no. I, I agree with you 100%. I definitely think that, um, you know, um, the one thing that we don't, African-Americans, a lot of us lack that that um, Nigerians or Ghanaians or Liberians or, or, or let me put it, Native Africans have, you know, our family structures were like ripped apart during slavery. Mm -hmm. um, and we really don't have a long history of, like you said, of examples, right? Because we... After slavery, there was Reconstruction. There was a, a period, you know, probably up until the 1940s where Black folks were very upwardly mobile. We were forming mm. our own communities. We uh, were developing our own economic base. Um, you know, everything from art to culture, everything, right? And then, um, you know, the civil rights uh movement started, Martin Luther King was assassinated, you had the riots, and then after that you kind of had white flight, and then after that you kind of had the crack ep epidemic, which decimated our family structures, um, decimated uh -huh. sort of our, just our upper mobility, and I think we've never really recovered from that. Uh -huh. So, like you said, we don't have a lot of examples and then because we don't control we don't control mass media we don't control the record labels we don't control the networks we don't control any of that and so mm -hmm. i think we lost control of sort of the product and and going back to hip-hop like i was born in 1979 so i'm mm -hmm. like a hip-hop baby like i literally was born during the era when hip-hop was was born and I remember that when I was young, you had so of uh, oh, such a wide variety of artists. You had, you know, um, very um, socially conscientious artists like KRS-One and, mm. um, you know, you know, Nas or, or or whoever. And then you had 
you had everything from that to, you know, the the booty popping, twerking, you know, music of the South and everything in between. And I think now what's happened is because, you know, it's a business and it's about money. Everything, whereas before we had a, a mix of positive influences and negative, because hip hop music has always been, you know, hip hop has always been positive and negative. But now it's so heavily skewed towards the negative where mm -hmm. it's almost all about drugs, all mm -hmm. about criminal activity, all about, and, and going back to what you were saying about, about just women and being hypersexualized. That, I mean, that, 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 that plays into, you know, um, the disintegration of our family structures because you're constantly having women being portrayed as, you know, being sexual objects and they have to do this and they have to be sexual in order to be successful. Um, and so I just think a lot of the things, like you were saying, basically we, we, we lack the examples and now we're caught, caught into this cycle where we're just being fed negative stuff all the time. And it becomes mm -hmm. kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Like if you mm -hmm. keep listening to people sell, uh, listening to music where they're talking about selling drugs and shooting and killing people every day, and you do that for 30 or 40 years, eventually it's going to seep into the consciousness of the community. And then you mm -hmm. have people that start trying to mimic that or they, they, they're actually so warped. They actually believe that that's how life is supposed to be, right? Like, mm -hmm. That's you're supposed to, you know, have to watch out for a drive by shooting because that's the way it is. When in fact, it's really not. But because that's what they see and they hear all the time, you know, they believe it. So I don't to be honest with you, Emmanuel, I don't really know what the answer is. I, I You know, I my 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 belief has always been people are always going to try to bring you down. Yeah. You, you're always going to have, you know, people that are going to try to make money off of you. Or, you know, say, hey, try this crack or, hey, here's here's some guns for you. And I, I think just as a community, we have to start not taking the bait. Um, you know, we got to start saying, you know, no, no, you're not going to bring fentanyl and heroin into our communities and sell it. You take that somewhere else or, mm. you know, no, you're not going to bring a, a trunk full of illegal guns that we know are going to end up in the hands of our kids. No, you take that somewhere else. That, mm. That's what I think we got to start doing. But like you said, it's, it's not going to happen overnight. It took a generation, 20, 30 years for this to happen. And, you know, it may take 20 or 30 years before we kind of right side the boat. But I do think we have to start doing that. And that includes our African brother. You know what I saw the other day? Um, there was a, there was a, car chase and a police shooting here and when they announced the name of the subjects the the suspects the first thing that caught my attention were they basically are of somali ancestry like they're somalian and i'm, I'm not saying that they they probably were born here but at least their surnames are are somali and what that struck me was well like damn even the new the new immigrants the new black folks coming over here are getting they're getting caught up in mm -hmm. the criminal bullshit too so you know it's not just african and, and i think that's what a lot of africans don't realize 
yo, after one or two generations over here, you you black. I don't care where you came from, you're black. Yeah. If the police see you on the highway and they pull you over, they're not going to be like, oh, that's a manual. He's Nigerian, so we need yeah. to treat him better. Yeah. They're going to look at your skin and they're going to look at your hair and they're going to say he's black and they're going to treat you just like they would treat me. Mm. So I think that's we we got to get together on the same page and and I think just advocate for each other. Yeah, I, I, you know, what's what's interesting is I, I one million percent agree with you on that. But there's also a pessimistic, pessimistic part of me. That's like, I don't think that day is going to happen. I don't think so. I think we the roots, the seeds that have been planted right now are already bearing fruits that we you can't you can't go against because one I mean if you look at the the rise in you know fatherless homes for instance right with the fathers not right. it's because one is it's all supplemented by the state right I mean if a woman leaves a man you know right you know it's like hey okay that's fine we'll take care of you. Um, the state right. has become basically second dad right so and we all know that whatever the you know the, the government funds will grow right so one you're going against the grain there so you're not going to win you look at the the rise in crime. I mean, one people. I mean, the, people are not gonna. Once they've had a taste for power, they will not let go of power. That's the thing about that. You know, thing about power is once you get it, you cannot. You don't want to leave. You don't want to let go of it, right? Because there's a saying that absolute power corrupts. And absolutely. And and, and and you know, there's a there's an interesting you know uh, take on this where you ask people, you're like, hey, why why do you um, work. Most people are like, oh man, I'm working for money. At some point where you get to, you know, let's say you make 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year. Another million is not going to do you anything, right? But then right. that money gives you influence, right? Yeah. So the, what does that influence mean? That influence means power, right? So I think right. at the end of the day, human beings has an, have an quest, like an, it's a quenching thirst for power, right? And once the people in power realize, hey, you know, the, the gang leaders, like, hey, they have control of this gang. Those people have control of this. They're not going to let go of that, right? So now you're going against two different establishments. They're like, what are I going to let go of it? So I personally think, I, I, I don't know. I think I think it's an intervention from God before anything can be changed. Personally, if you ask Damn, me. Damn, man, you think it's that bad? I think it's that so, bad. I genuinely think it's, I genuinely think it's that bad. I, I, I think it's that bad, but I, I just think we don't have a choice. Like no. we, this is not sustainable as a, as a community, this is not sustainable. So if we're going to survive, we're going to have to adapt mm -hmm. and get our communities in order. Cause, and I tell black folks this all the time, and this is, this is a hard truth. We are no longer the, the, the second majority, you know, race or, or in this in this country, we're, we're not like there are there are actually more Hispanic Americans than there are black Americans mm -hmm. now. And as as their population grows, they're going to grow in political power. You know, mm -hmm. you have Asian Americans, South, a lot of Southeast Asians move into this country. Mm -hmm. and, you know, they're going to grow in political power. And the, the strides that we've made are going to diminish and decline. So. You know, I, I just think black folks, if we don't wake up, we're going to find ourselves in a hard position, um, you know, in the in the coming years. So I think I don't know what 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 the catalyst for it is, but I think or maybe I'm just being hopeful, like, you know, I'm being hopeful. Yeah. I think that this isn't sustainable. And if we are going to survive, 
we are going to have to get our house in order. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is the only time you get your house in order is when there has been serious damage to it. Absolutely. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, and I think we're in a position in which it's it's something needs to get really bad for you to realize, you know, uh, there needs to be change. Because I think most people are comfortable right now. And that's the key word is you're comfortable. Yeah, I agree. Comfortable with the situation. And when you're comfortable, there's no reason for you. You know, like, for instance, when the, you know, after 9-11, I mean, America was the most united, one of the most united in the past few years, right? Because right. people were like, hey, this, this happened. You know, whenever there's right. a common crisis is when people are like, hey, okay, let's kind of go ahead and unite together. Right. Same thing is like whenever there was, you know, uh, uh, like some, you know, social event happens where, God forbid, somebody's murdered or something happens, you know, everyone's like, okay, hey, let's go ahead and support, you know. I think outside of a, a, a very, you know, life-changing group event that happens, I don't think there's going to be any change. I think people are going to stay comfortable. And there's a saying that, and you said this, which is very interesting. You mentioned something about, you know, one, black people are really now becoming a really minority here. And have you have you heard of the saying of how you can how you can boil a frog alive? Yes, if you put the frog in a pot of water and slowly increase the heat, uh, the frog will boil to death because it doesn't notice that it's getting hot. But if you drop a frog in a boiling pot of water, it'll immediately jump out because it you know it's it's very it notices immediately that it's in danger. And you know, you know what's interesting is you ever ask yourself, why is it that when it gets hot, because it feels it's hot, why can't it jump out when it's hot? Because it's still, it still should have the ability to jump out. All it takes is right. a jump. But what's interesting is frogs, their body temperature, they adjust their body to the temperature of water that you're in, right? And then that takes an immense amount of energy. As you boil it, it's, in, it's, it's adjusting its body temperature to match the water. And at some point, it adjusts to the temperature to the point at which it has no energy to jump out. So I, I know, I know. That's the that's the catch only too is we're becoming so comfortable and we're adjusting to the point in which at some point people are not gonna have the energy to jump out. It's just gonna be like, hey, it is what it is. And I think that's the thing is, you know, it's we, we can have this conversation for hours. I think we can have this conversation for hours, but the reality is this is it's it's people are gonna listen to it and they're gonna go back to your life. Some people are gonna listen to it and they're gonna get offended by it. Some people are gonna listen to it and be like, hey, I wanna make a change. But the reality is Pain is the only factor that actually leads to a change. And I, and you know what's saying? The reason why I say that, you know, only God has, you know, I live this in the power of God is because at the end of the day, usually for whenever people do make a drastic change, God, because I personally, I don't know if you're a religious man, or you believe in God at any point. Do you do? I, I do. I'm not, okay. I'm not religious. I'm probably more spiritual, but yes, so, I believe in God and grew up in the church. So, you know, what's interesting is someone mentioned this. And I, I heard this in a church sermon. It's like people... People don't understand that, that God, think about God as a traffic light, right? What he does in your life is a traffic light. Whenever something bad happens, right? Let's say something bad happens. They go, oh, this is the devil. How do you know it's the devil? Might be just, because think about it. Imagine this. Imagine it was all green light. You have one street that was all green light and another street that was all green light. What would happen? Accidents. Right. Right? So sometimes, you know, sometimes when, you know, bad things happen for the greater move of, you know, reshaping traffic is like maybe something bad happens to someone's life and they get a red light. That's because it's like, hey, maybe if you had a green light, someone else had a green light. So if you guys go, boom, that's a crash, right? So maybe, right. hey, God, just put a temporary stop in there. And the reason why I'm saying that is sometimes is the reason why I'm saying it's, hey, it's the hands of God is God knows how to reshape the 
you know, the situation in which people actually start to understand and or basically get people to a unity, unity perspective. But I don't think right now, I personally think that we, we're in a state in which it's sad because we mean good, but a lot of, you know, black people are going to listen to this and see what we say as against the grain. And they're going to be like, oh, hey, right. you know. So it's kind of like, hey, it's it's to the point where it's like, do you even want to speak about it? Because you speak about it and then it, it would good and then you get you get hate. Well, 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 let me just add this. I, I, I usually add this in my when I give my little spiel. The truth is, I'm going to be OK. Mm -hmm. You're going to be OK. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we're already we already have the mindset. Um, that I think you need to have, which is why we we are where we are. We are the people that we are. So I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about my children. They're going to be OK. Right. Yeah. And my friends and family, they're OK. Mm -hmm. I worry about the black folks that I don't know. I worry about the black folks that I see on TV and on the Internet. And, you know, the people that are, you know, at the the homeless shelter or the rec center. I worry about those black folks. So mm. I say all that to say, y'all don't have to get, y'all don't, they don't have to, we're just the messengers. And mm. at the end of the day, the people that are prepared, they're going to do fine. Mm. It's everybody else who isn't that's, that's really going to have a rude awakening. And those are the people that I, I'm worried about. I'm just trying to bring them along. So I guess if there's a a, a, a a positive note to it, there will always be people like me and you. There mm. will always be black folks that, you know, place a high value on education that are are go getters, that are entrepreneurs, that are, you know, um, intellectuals, that are doctors, lawyers, scientists, whatever. Um, those people will be OK. The people that you know, read to their kids every night and make sure that they do their homework. And, you know, they're checking their, 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 their kids phone and, and making sure that they're not sending texts or posting crazy pictures. Those people are going to be okay. It's the other people. And those are the people that don't want to hear what we got to say. So, you know, I, all we can do is, you know, uh, put our message out there and hope for the best for them. I mean, you you definitely made said some uh, a few things there, which is you know not everyone's going to hear the message and actually act on it. But then again, it's the ones that do hear the message and actually you know do want to take action. And, and by the way, you know as we wrap up the podcast, there because I I, I want to say this is this is the one podcast where you actually got me to actually say a lot of my personal not of the personal but Ooh, a lot I'm of so like sorry I got you no, all off topic we were supposed no, to be no, talking no, no, on a no. podcast and I got you talking no, about no 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 I I actually enjoy I actually no because the thing is I enjoy I enjoy these conversations I just believe I just wish people would be a little bit more open to a dialogue to actually listen and actually have an open mind as opposed to going straight up and, and being all like you know uh judgmental and hate you know pretty much but no, where can people find you, though? Like, if someone wants to work with you or someone wants to learn more, because I, I think you have a very good message. If someone wants to hear what oh, you have to you, say. Uh, well, you can find me anywhere you, you get your podcast. We're on um, Spotify and, um, you know, Apple Music. Um, you can also email me at skirk at gannett.com. Um, yeah, and uh, we also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account um, for the for the podcast. So you know you can um, basically just 
you know, let's go to our website. You can search for the other side. You can um, Google me and it, it will probably come up. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Please email me, you know, if you have uh, comments, questions, concerns, or even show topics. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always here for it. And, you know, I think I'm a, maybe um, I'll work on um, putting together an episode and have you on as a guest. And then maybe we can talk about, you know, because I would love to talk about, like you said, I could talk about this for hours mm-hmm. and just have more of a, you know, a more in-depth discussion and, you know, perhaps even broaden it out some, you know, whether we talk about the um, African, uh, you know, African-American, African-American relationship or you know, just whatever. I, I, I think I think that's going to be a very, very fire episode if we if we definitely do that. Just let me know what it is, because, um, yeah, I'm abs- I am 100 percent down. And, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and have a conversation because, I mean, like I said, we just crawl. You said it. We just we basically in my we probably covered maybe point zero to zero three percent of this topic. Right. I mean, we, this, this statistics and data is that we, cause I mean, whenever you let me, just let me know, I'm going to bring, bring some statistics and data and we, we definitely gonna, definitely gotta, I'm with yeah. it, brother. I'm, yeah. with it. I'm sure you got the numbers. I'm with it. I'd be interested to see that's cause that's the thing. A lot of what I was saying was like anecdotal. So I would love to see some, you know, some actual, um, numbers, some actual data. Um, yeah, that would be great. So yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, we'll make it happen. We'll make it happen, man. It was a pleasure having you on, guys. And definitely, guys, the link is going to be in pleasure the description to connect with mine. Uh, the link is going to be in the description to connect with Scott. So please definitely go check him out. Uh, you know, definitely show some support, show some love to, you know, what he does out there in the other side podcast. And uh, it's a pleasure having you on, Scott. You guys, enjoy.